Happy St. Patty's Day. And also with you, come on, or with your spirit or give you peace or whatever. Okay, good. Welcome. Um, you know, uh, if you're watching online, welcome to all of our campuses. Welcome to you online, Facebook Live. If you're, if you're watching on Facebook Live like our executive pastor is right now, on a beach somewhere where it's really warm with his laptop up, I just want you to understand, um, I just want you to understand that it snowed on St. Patrick's Day, okay? And that's a sign in case you didn't know it. It's kind of like, you know, the groundhog thing. It's a sign when it snows on St. Patrick's Day that people are not supposed to live this far north of the equator. <laughs> that's a sign. St. Patty didn't have to drive the snakes out of Chicago because they were all frozen. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Spring is also when it starts raining, okay? If you like pina coladas, we're doing, if you're new, we're doing this relationship series, and, uh, and we're talking, uh, you're kind of using the pina colada song. And there's this, you know, line, if you like getting pina coladas, which most people don't, and if you like getting caught in the rain, which also most people don't, okay? I'm going to use it today as a metaphor for what happens to us when we're in the bad times, okay? Because even though these two people in this random song like getting caught in the rain, most of us don't. And oftentimes, it's spring this week, right? You know, I mean, this is supposedly uh, the, the spring equinox is coming. That's when the rains come. That's when, that's when flooding starts to happen. So I want to talk about what happens when you've got the water in your basement, okay? Let's talk about, relationally speaking, troubled times in relationships. What happens when you get caught in the rain, okay? And here's the problem. We all start off into our relationships thinking it's going to be something like this. And it doesn't usually work like that, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that at all because you get about five minutes into your relationship and you realize that you're two people coming from two different things. My friend Jody collected these tweets. I thought they were great. This is reality. Marriage is just texting each other, do we need anything from the grocery store a bunch of times until one of you dies? <laughs> That's right. Fun part of marriage is arguing over who deserves the car charger. Prove it. Show me your percentage. Right? I didn't even know I was the loudest cereal eater in the world until I got married. <laughs> Him, I'm feeling under the weather. I'm so sorry. That stinks. Dating. Engaged. I'll nurse you back to health with chicken soup and cuddles. Married. Sprays him with Lysol. <laughs> right? Oh, dude, I can't, I can't come over. I'm in big trouble with a wife. She asked me to pick up some grated Parmesan, but I got shredded Parmesan, right? I, see, conflict is inevitable. And I want to add, conflict is essential for a great relationship, okay? Because if there's never conflict, there's probably never really any honesty going on. You're going to argue, you're going to disagree, you're going to have some fights, and couples that learn how to deal with their differences and, and to deal with them in in vulnerable and honest and civil and healthy kinds of ways, we'll find that they come out on the other side loving each other even more deeply, even more grounded in where they're supposed to be. Uh, John Townsend and, and Henry Cloud said it this way, a fight is a vigorous way to solve the problem of two people disagreeing while wanting to remain connected. Vigorous way to solve the problem, two people disagreeing, because that's going to happen while wanting to remain connected, and that's the key. The key is to fight uh, for the relationship, not to fight about the thing, 
okay? And, and so that's what I, I want to talk about today. How do we have that deeper connection? And if you're struggling with a flooded relationship, first off, I'm going to start this way and I'm going to end this way. Please know that there are a lot of people around you at your campus. There are a lot of people around you who, who have had flooded basements, including my wife and I. Who've, had, who've been in situations where it looked like things were really, really bad and we didn't like getting caught in the rain. And yet here we are and here they are because God can make all things new, okay? Look, I'm making all things new. That, that's the whole story of the Bible. Nobody in the, nobody in the Bible was problem-free. There's no relationships in the Bible that were problem-free. God is making all things new. In other words, God is in the restoration business. So please understand that as we start and, and understand that as we end, that, that we're here to help you and so is he, okay? But if you've gotten flooded, um, this is what it's going to look like for you, okay? If you've got flooded, you realize that, that you can't just leave it. You're, you're probably going to need the sledgehammer. You're going to need to bust out. You may need to bust out some, some of the studs. You're probably going to have to tear out the drywall. You're going to have to have the shop back to get up the water and get everything out of the way because the biggest problem with a flooded basement, the biggest problem with a flooded relationship is not the water that came in. It's not getting caught in the rain. It's what the water leaves behind, right? It's, just, it's the same thing in your basement. It, 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 it turns into mold, right? And that's a way bigger problem than the water ever was in the first place. Marriages and relationships have mold as well. It, it, just look at this. Paul said, get rid of all bitterness. This is, this is the mold. This is, the, this is the mildew. Get rid of all bitter, bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. What bitterness in a relationship and the mold in a relationship has to, be, has to be taken care of. And many of you are dealing with relationships right now or have failed relationships in your past that, that, that were in that situation because somebody didn't get the mold out. They, they didn't make it happen. You can't do a restoration without getting the mold out because mold makes restoration dangerous. If you don't get it all out of there, it's, it's, it's going to keep growing. It's going to have a life of its own. You can see a little bit of rage, a little bit of anger, a little bit of harsh words, a little slander, a little bitterness deep down inside. And how do you know if that's going on? Well, you may, may be really obvious that you've got some, some stinky mold going on in your relationship, but, but, but it might also not be. I mean, I was thinking about it today. When you have fights, a lot of fights about really dumb stuff, I mean, it could be a sign. You know, somebody didn't replace the toilet paper when it ran out. Well, you parked too far over in the garage or too far over in the driveway, right? Well, you remember when your mom didn't get me a Christmas present three years ago and you're fighting over really, really dumb stuff? I mean, maybe you're just having a bad day. Maybe it's just that time of the month. Maybe you're both, yeah, I just said that. I'm a, I've been married for 35 years. I got three daughters. I could say it if I want. Maybe... <laughs> You are both just suffering from the seasonal depression that's making us all bat guano crazy right about now. But it's possible that it is, it, is, it is a sign that there's something going on on the inside. There's something going on down in the basement that needs to be dug out. And here's what the Apostle Paul went on to say in Ephesians 4 after that get rid of the mold. He said, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. 
Don't let the sun, that's metaphorically speaking, you don't have to stay up all night, but don't let it sit there because what you're doing is you're giving the devil a foothold. You're giving mold a chance to grow, so you got to suck it out of there. you got to turn this thing on and get it out of there. Very sucky. I just had to do that. Here's, here's what the Bible says. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. All right, if you conceal your sin, it's not going to prosper. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is true of our relationship with God. He knows what's going on. But when we, conce- when we hide, it just keeps growing. We've got to get it out. And that's true for all of us. Don't give the devil a foothold. There are different ways to do this. You may need to go to a counselor. Um, you know, my wife and I have done that multiple times along the way. You got some bitterness. You got some mold. You may need a professional. Okay. If you have real mold in your basement, you know that if it's certain kinds of mold, you probably have to get out of the house. You have to hire some specialists to come in with the masks and they come in with all the equipment to get the mold out because it's that dangerous. And you may have to do that. But, but I'm going to tell you that mold is, it makes restoration dangerous, and restoration doesn't happen if there's hidden damage. You can go back over and you know, do all the magnolia stuff you want to to the basement after you rebuild it, but if you've left mold in there, it doesn't matter how much shiplap you put up on the wall, things are going to go badly for you. Don't ask me why I know all this stuff, Okay. <laughs> You've got to get the mold out. You've got to make it happen. So I want to give you some biblical parameters for how to have a Christian fight today. Okay? I know that may sound like an oxymoron, but you're going to fight. Let's learn how to do this. Let's learn how to have disagreements so that we can get rid of this. I'm going to be in Romans 12 if you want to turn in your Bibles or smartphones uh, over to Romans 12. And while you do that, I will uh, tell you a story. A woman arrived at the gates of heaven, and uh, she saw in, and she could see how beautiful it was, and, and, and she couldn't wait to get in. And so she, w- she went up to the gates, and there was Peter, and, and Peter said, hey, how are you? And she said, great, I, I, can I come in? He said, sure. She said, how do I get in? He said, you just have to spell a word. Oh, okay. What, which word? Love. So she spelled it. She went in. She was there for a couple years, loved heaven. It was wonderful. A couple years later, she's hanging out by the pearly gates, and, uh, and Peter sees her, and he goes, hey, hey, I got to go do something. Could you mind the gate for a little bit? And she's like, sure. So she's there, and people are coming, you know, and she's doing her little thing, and pretty soon her husband shows up. She said, wow, how have you been? What brought you here? He said, oh, hi, honey. Well, it was really hard when I lost you, but, but I bounced back. I married that beautiful young nurse who took care of you when you were ill. You remember her? And then I won the multi-state lottery. And um, so I sold a little house that you and I lived in and and built this mansion. And and then we quit work and we'd just been traveling around the world. And I was on vacation with her in Cancun. And I was water skiing today and I fell and hit my head. And I guess here I am. Good to see you. I can't wait to catch up. How do I get in? She said, well, you just have to spell a word. He said, which word? She said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> that's funny right there. I don't care what you say. That, that's the problem, okay? That the feelings start getting in the way, and it makes it hard to do this the right way. So how do we do this? What are we going to do? We're going to get the other stuff out, and then we're going to need the new stuff, right? We're going to need to be able to put up new drywall and have the tools out and be ready to go. That's what I want to give you today, okay? Restoration means getting to work, you got to get the old stuff out, but it means getting to work, and it takes time and energy. Am I right? Here we go. 
Principle number one, principle of personal responsibility. Paul says in Romans 12, do not repay evil for evil. That's what you want to do. Spell Czechoslovakia. That's how it feels like. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, and it may not be, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, okay? This is the principle of personal responsibility. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, start with a spirit of humility. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about judging. He says, stop judging each other, okay? You stop trying to get the sawdust out of somebody else's eye and look at yourself. Look at you first. Take a good, hard look at you. Maybe one of the things that you ought to have in your toolkit is this, okay? Maybe I, I need to start with personal responsibility and I need to look at myself first of all. I don't know about you, but I like doing it this way. Right? Don't you? I mean, I like, let me tell you what you did, but we start here with this, looking at this. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. See if I'm a part of the mold problem here and lead me in the way everlasting. When two people are in a relationship and they, and they realize that they've got a flooded basement and the rain has come, they got caught in the rain, they, the, the first thing that you need to do is go, okay, I need to look at me. Let me see where I'm at first as far as it depends on me. Maybe there's some mold stuff going on in here that doesn't have anything to do with my relationship. Maybe it's stuff from my childhood that I haven't gotten out of there yet. Maybe it's some other things that are going on. Or maybe it's just my normal propensity to selfishness that that is causing this to start happening, and that's where I'm at. The first step is to examine myself. Am I the problem, all right? Step number two is the principle of humility, okay? The humility means I'm not going to worry about getting them back. I'm going to just leave that to God. He says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not your problem to deal with the stuff that's going on in their life. That's the principle of humility. Okay, Them and God are going to have to deal with things. Being humble. As a matter of fact, this happened just last week. Denise and I were having a fight in the bedroom, and she came crawling to me on her hands and knees after the fight and said, get out from under that bed and fight like a man, you coward. (laughs) It is our most immediate and natural response to want to attack, right? That's what happens. We want to attack. We want to come back at them. Rick Warren from... uh, Saddleback Community Church did this. He calls it House to Fight on the Seven Seas. I want to give these to you, and I'll put them out on social media along the way. When you're in this situation, the principle of humility is don't worry about what they've got going on in their life. This is about you, what it depends on you, and then you start to work on this problem, and you leave the the teaching of what they need to learn up to God. So seven Cs, here they are. Never compare. Okay, never compare. Just a bad idea when you're in this situation. Why can't you be like, you know, whatever. That's a bad idea. Not pretty easy. Never condemn. Don't make you statements. You, 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 I, you know, I, leave it up to God. This is how this works. Okay, condemning doesn't work. This is why I don't preach in a condemning manner. Okay, if you want a church where the preacher's going to stand up and say, you're going to hell and I'm really glad about it, this isn't it. 
because I don't make changes. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't make changes because I feel condemned, okay? Maybe it's just the Irish in me. I do have 5% Irish in my blood, according to my parents. And I'm just like, you come at me, I'm coming back at you. And Jesus said it. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. So condemnation doesn't change anything. Never command. Don't throw your weight around, you know? And a lot of people arguing about who's the head in the marriage and who's the neck and all this silliness. Jesus said, no, submit to one another, man. I mean, if if you're throwing your weight around, it's never going to work. Never challenge. Remember when your parents used to to say, I don't want to hear a peep out of you. What did you do? You peeped, didn't you? You know you did, either in your mind or maybe really quietly or maybe you're just like me and you went, peep, because you didn't care. Threats don't work, okay? It's in the same thing, right? It's in the command thing. Don't use sex. Don't use money. Don't talk about divorce. Don't use the kids and challenge. That's a terrible idea while you're in the middle of this principle of humility. Never condescend. Never condescend, okay? Ridicule, be insensitive. Unfortunately... You know more about your significant other than probably anybody else does. And that means you know their Achilles heel. If your spouse has confessed to you that his cruel high school classmates called him dork face and it was painful to him, then you probably shouldn't call him dork face. You you see what I'm saying? Research has shown that it only takes one put down to undo hours of kindness that you give to your partner. And as you're doing all these things, really, not only are you not getting rid of the problem and rebuilding the, the relationship, you're actually throwing mold back into the walls. That's basically what you're doing, all right? Don't, don't, don't contradict. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at all of these, okay? I have to say that because my wife is sitting right here. I am terrible at all of these, but this one I'm really, really bad at. Like, it's the worst one. This is butting in. This is, this is she's explaining something, and I'm like, oh, no, you got that wrong, right? I, I, I want to tell you how it really went, Okay. 35 years, I'm still terrible at this. This is what the counselor always tells you to do, okay? They they talk about this. When you go through a fast food restaurant, through the drive-thru, they always repeat your order back to you, right? Okay, you want to have a hamburger, right? Because intercom's terrible, and they want to make sure they heard it right. So you need to do the same thing, okay? Don't argue about it. Don't contradict them. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. Just repeat it back. Okay, honey, so you feel like I don't care about you just because... I start driving off before you have both feet in the car? Okay. I just want to hear. I see that that's been a discussion. Okay, good. Never, last one, never confuse. <laughs> this is another good thing I'm really good at because if I'm smart enough about arguing that I know that if I'm losing an argument, the best thing to do is to change arguments, Right? Well, what about your mother, right? You just go to a whole different place. So these are the seven C's. I'll put them on social media so so you can realize, like, if you're getting ready to have this conversation, pull out the seven C's and look at it and and, and do that before. Make that your little hand mirror, okay? I'm going to do this first. Principle three, C, the principle of grace. He goes on. He says, don't worry about revenge. Don't worry about them and what they've got going on. You come in humility about yourself, and and let's take it a step farther. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You've got to go 
the extra step, my, uh, <laughs> my daughter and her husband are here, Becca and her husband, my youngest daughter, are here from uh, California today. They're not with me very often. And so, you know, they're on California time. So I got up early and I made bacon for them. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I made an uneven amount of bacon. It was a test for your marriage. I just want you to know. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure I know who won, but I'm just saying I did that on purpose. You've got to figure out how to give them the extra piece of bacon. You've got to figure out how to do the next thing for them and make the relationship better. And, and I know that like right about now you're like, okay, grace, humility, you know, self-reflection, personal responsibility. When do we talk about the problem? Here, let me just stop right here and give you the magic formula to talk about the mold, Okay. Because you're still going to have grace and humility, but I want you to be able to learn how to deal with it. This is a trick I got from Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott, good friends of ours, marriage counselors, who, who teach this to marriage counselor people all around the world. It's the XYZ formula. Very, very simple. Just fill in the blanks with the XYZ and remember this. And when it comes to having a discussion, you can still have grace and you can still have humility and you can still take personal responsibility, but you can still talk about the issue if if you do X, Y, Z, it's this. In situation X, when you do Y, I feel Z. For example, okay? Let's say that you are, uh, your, your, your spouse is a road warrior. They're on the road a lot and they're gone a lot and, and it's getting to you and you're feeling unloved, okay? So how, how would you have this discussion? Why are you gone all the time? Can't you get a different job? Not, I mean, none of that. That's fighting on the seven seas. That's not grace and humility. It's like this. Honey, when you are on the road, X, and you don't call me and text me and tell me that you love me and you miss me, that's the why. I feel unloved and lonely. How do you argue with that? I mean, that, 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 that this is expressing my feelings. I'm still, I still have grace. I still have humility. I, I, I'm still taking responsibility for myself. But I've got to say, in this situation, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. All right? Uh, last Thursday night, X, when you binge watch The Bachelor, Y, I felt upset because I wanted to spend time with you, Z, which was code for something else, but that'll be next week, okay? Doesn't matter. And, and I use this example because March Madness is coming, guys. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you with it. If you use this formula, it helps you to avoid the insults and the character assassination and, and getting revenge back on that other person. And instead, you can actually be grace-filled with them. If you express hurt instead of hostility, I was hurt, I feel, those are the statements that we make. And the last thing is just the principle of resolution. It's about staying in there. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the general principle that, that puts this whole thing up. Okay, it's raining. Maybe your fault, maybe my fault. We got a flooded basement. Maybe I've got some mold from before. Maybe you've got some mold from before. But we are going to not be overcome by this evil, and we are going to be committed to overcoming evil with good. It's easy to be overwhelmed in our marriages and feel that way. The principle of resolution is we're going to keep working on it. Why bother? Because when it comes to rebuilding a marriage, restoration is not a solo project. 
And I, and I, I don't mean even a solo project when it comes to you and your spouse. There's more help available for you. I said I'd start this way and end this way. Here's the poet in the Old Testament. You've heard this at weddings probably, this verse. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Or if they fail, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and fails and does not have anyone to help. And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What? You get there, and, you're, and you're, if you don't know what he's talking about, you're like, what, what? What's a three? Who is, who's the third? What he's talking about is that if you hang in there and you, you try to overcome evil with good, that God is going to give you the power. He's going to be the third strand in that braid. You can't braid with two. You can only braid with three. He's going to be the third part of that cord. I believe if you're willing to do the work of confession, and, and do the work of personal responsibility and do the work of looking at yourself starting there first. And, and then to do the work of, of humility and coming and saying, I'm not going to worry about your stuff. I'm going to let you and God work, work that stuff out. And then the principle of grace, which is I'm not even going to be upset. I'm going to try to help you with this. And the work of, of resolution and hanging in there, that God is going to give you the strength for that. I believe that. And we want to help you. Again, if you need counseling, please call us at one of our campuses and we will hook you up with a, with a counselor that, that we can help you depend on. If you need prayer right now at all of our campuses, there are tables around the back of, of, the, of the auditorium that, somewhere in your, in your campus where there will be a, a trained Stevens minister to pray with you, a support staff person to help you and pray with you. I, I want to encourage a, a, a simple little devotional thing I, I did this last week. Somebody sent it to me, and I thought, ah, this is great. The U version of the Bible, the U version is what we always use around here. It's the number one Bible app on your stuff, or you go to Bible.com. It, it is the number one thing. There's God's advice for husbands and God's advice for wives. Seven-day little devotional thing that you do. You can do it right from your phone, very, very simple, and, and we want to help you. I want to help you. Because I'm bringing in an expert for next week's subject, okay? I'm bringing in Shanti Feldhan. We've had Shanti before. Shanti was a graduate degree Harvard University uh, Wall Street analyst, okay? Before she became a social researcher, she started just finding all these contrary things out in the world about marriage and about men and women and how they interact with each other. And, and she and her husband Jeff wrote two different books for women only and for men only that have sold over 2 million copies and are translated into 23 languages. Definitive work on the differences between men and women. And here's the thing, okay, you guys are like, I don't know if I want to come. Oh, oh yes, you do. All of you gentlemen want to come next week because she's going to talk a, a lot about intimacy. She's going to talk a, a, a lot about physiology, and she's a woman. So when she talks about this stuff, your wife is going to actually listen to her. She's not going to listen to me because I'm a dude, and she's going to think I don't understand this stuff. So I want to really encourage you to be here. She's been on the Today Show. She's been on New York Times, all this stuff. Here's what she's going to share. I'll be sharing what couples need to know about men, women, and sex so that sex becomes what God intended it to be, a matter of intimacy and not just sex. There are some key factors that we found in doing research, and they're common among every culture, every religion, racial group, and it's the key path to intimacy is how we 
we work with what God and how God has wired us rather than against it or being clueless about it. I'll share the key emotional and physiological factors we quantified in our research and how the brain is wired up. And I'll also include what we found uh, that will help teens and singles that they need to know, not just married couples. So I really want to encourage you to be here next week. You do, you do not want to miss this. She's fun. She's, she's a blast. And, and, and it's going to be good for you to hear from somebody else in the middle of this. Let me challenge you with this. God is in the restoration business. Are you ignoring the mold? Are you ignoring the flooding that's going on in, in your relationship? Are you resisting tearing out the drywall and the stuff that needs to happen? I'm going to tell you it's not going to go away. You're going to have to take the time and you're going to have to work through it with the principle of responsibility. I'm going to look at myself. The principle of humility. I'm not going to worry about them and what their thing is. The principle of grace. I'm going to be grace-filled as we do this. And the principle of, of holding on and making sure I stick the whole thing out. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick the whole thing out. It's not a solo project. I'm going to resolve this. A resolution is it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to work to make it happen. I, I know that it's not easy, um, but I know that it can be done. And, and, and I'll tell you the same thing I, I told you in week one. 35 years of marriage for my wife and I seems amazing because it's been a really long journey and it's been really, really difficult. But my parents celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary this week. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Happy anniversary, mom and dad. I mean, that's the legacy that I come from. And my wife's have been married 61 years at this point. Uh, amazing legacy. I love you. We're proud of you. I know you're probably watching this. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of you. And I couldn't tell you guys that these people are like, they're not, they were not a hand-in-glove situation. My parents were a couple of quirky people, okay, getting married to each other with problems coming from different places. And, and, and when I start thinking about 60 years, I, I, I'm like, 35 doesn't sound like that big a deal. It may sound like a lot to you. I'm kind of bragging about it now because it was a lot of work, but I want to make it that far. And when I thought about it today, I read this, I remembered this story. Richard Delisle wrote this. He said, we were watching TV one night, mom and dad and myself. The story was without interest, but it served to gather us together in the warmth of the living room. And we enjoyed each other's presence, not really bothering to say much. We were just happy together. Everybody was lost in their own thoughts, and the long day's weariness began to take hold. And on impulse, I looked towards my father and noticed him gazing lovingly at my mother. Her head was bowed in sleep and her glasses rested precariously on the tip of her nose. The years, though kind to her, still had left their mark. And the fresh beauty that I marveled at when I was a boy now lingered on more as a loving memory than a living reality. She seemed so fragile to me, more of heaven than of earth, more of spirit than of substance. Dad never took his eyes from her and I asked him what he was thinking. Slowly he turned towards me and said in a voice that only old lovers use, Look at your mother, son. Isn't she beautiful? Really beautiful? Yes, Dad, I answered. You're right. She is really beautiful. At that moment, I felt like an intruder. What right had I to share in this moment of profound intimacy between this man and the only woman in his life? The look of love tinged with just a trace of sadness that he directed towards her mirrored years of living together, whispers and shouts and certainty and doubts all mingled together and becoming one in the crucible of love. 
She would always be beautiful to him because now, through the prism of the years, he could see only her soul. And a lover's soul, as everyone knows, never grows old, only more beautiful. After a few moments, he rose from his chair, lowered the TV, hugged me warmly, and went over to his wife. He touched her cheek ever so gently and tenderly kissed her goodnight. At that moment, I became overwhelmed with a feeling of gratitude towards God who chose me to be born of such love. And I'm certain that when the time comes to present his bride, my mother, to God on judgment day, my father's words will be, here's my wife, dear God. Isn't she beautiful? Really beautiful? And of course, God will agree. God, I want to pray for our marriages. I want to pray for mine. 35 years does seem like a lot, but if you give us the years, I pray for 60. I thank you for a woman who was able to dig in with me and we were able to learn how to do the things that we needed to learn to do to love each other and to stay together. And I thank you for my daughters and their husbands and I pray for protection for them and I pray that they will have that same sense of restoration, of overcoming evil with good, no matter what it feels like. Lord, I, I just thank you for the marriages that are represented here and, and for, the, for the relationships that are yet to come. You will help us to understand that, that if the Lord builds the house, it's going to stand. That if we build on the rock, it's going to stand. That, that the cord of three strands is not easily broken and that you are here to help us. We call upon your power. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.